are the mystery history podcast i'm allison i'm rachel welcome to episode 97 on mary bell child serial killer not gonna like it hold on to your butts it's gonna get Mm. messy that's not good no but before we get into that let's talk about business let's let's do that so what do we what do we need to tell them uh, like, share, subscribe. Of course. Always. We really appreciate that. Uh, you can like us on Instagram also at Mystery History Podcast or on Facebook or on any place you listen to your podcasts. Five-star yep. reviews are very much appreciated. Very much appreciated. Yes. And then we're three episodes away from our hundredth, which is crazy. That's a lot. That's a lot lot of episodes. Yeah, that's great. That's a crazy landmark there. That is. I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud of you. Well, I'm more proud of you because you've done way more. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. So I was giving out suggestions. I suggested Columbine because we haven't done Columbine. Um, It really intrigued me. Rachel Rachel doesn't want to do that. I don't want to do Columbine right now. I mean, it's sad. Definitely. It is really sad. I feel like it was very, um, it was like a very big deal when we were just at the right age. Yeah. For it to just be like, really just like, just a big deal. Yeah. It was very prominent for us when Mm -hmm. we were in school, whenever this kind of stuff would happen. So I don't know. Tell us what you want to hear. And yeah. What do you guys want to hear? Yeah, because Rachel doesn't want to do Columbine. And or if you want to do Columbine, say do Columbine. Yeah, and then, and then we'll, we'll say, just do Columbine. And then we'll say, screw what Rachel has to think. <laughs> she knows nothing. <laughs> Not a thing. Um, and then our Patreon. Why don't you tell them about our Patreon? Well, we've got our $2 tier and our $5 tier. And you get a love note and free sticker if you sign in and and you also get a billion episodes at least (laughs) at least one billion it's a very good deal (laughs) it is a very good deal i do not actually know how many episodes that we have over there but there's a lot i think we have 77 at this point extra Mm -hmm. episodes we release one every friday and then also mm-hmm. with the tiers you get a 10 percent off to merch or 20 percent off and mm-hmm. you can look at our merch at www.mysteryhistorypodcast.com. Mm-hmm. And we're going to record our Patreon for this week after this episode. And it's on Haitian zombies. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff, man. Cool and then stuff going on over there. The next Patreon is something really cool. Like this girl possibly got murdered by a great white shark. Or did she? I don't know, but nobody does find out. Yeah. And you won't find out unless you join our Patreon. (laughs) Yeah. There's very exciting things going on over there. Um, And then my last little bit I wanted to say is um, my kid is in Girl Scouts and I wore one of our mystery history shirts. And one of the moms was like, oh, I love your shirt. And I said, oh, actually, it's my my podcast that I have with my best friend. And she's like, what's the name of it? We love true crime podcasts. So I'm thinking I might've got two more new listeners. So (laughs) if you're listening, moms, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Love it. it. That's (laughs) adorable. (laughs) Yeah. Best place ever to wear a true crime shirt is where a bunch of moms gather because we all are are into it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just so funny. All right. Well, you got anything else business-wise? No. Oh, well, real quick, our since our hundredth episode's coming out, we're doing stickers to commemorate oh, yeah. that. Mm-hmm. They um just got printed. They're on their way to me. Once we release our hundredth episode, we'll post a picture of this sticker. And if you would like one full free, message us and we will send you one. Yep. Sure will. So yeah. 
All right. Well, let's get into this child serial killer business, shall we? I mean, this is cannot be good. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. I'll start. You start. (laughs) Rip the bandaid off. All right. I will start by saying there's a picture of a little girl who looks like she's five and she looks real sweet. Yeah, she's a cute kid. Very cute kid. And I believe her name is Mary Flora Bell. Yep. And she was born on May 26, 1957 to Elizabeth Betty Bell, who was a well-known prostitute and her biological father was unknown. But Mary believed her father to be William Billy Bell in Northumberland, England. She was the second child born by Betty when she was 17 years old. Ooh, young. Yeah. A lot of kids to have at 17. Yep. Betty would frequently leave her children in the care of Billy to travel to Glasgow to work. Uh, But Billy was a violent alcoholic and criminal. According to Mary's aunt, Isa McCricket, within minutes of Mary's birth, her mother had resented hospital staff um, attempting to place Mary in her arms and shouted at them to take that thing away from me. Oh, yeah, that breaks my heart. He did not have the general. Oh, look, maternal instinct. Well, and it was a perfect life that they had and she grew up no this was Mm-mm. started off instantly bad for her yeah Aww. as a child mary had several injuries that took place when she was alone which led the family to believe that her mother was purposely neglecting her or intentionally attempting to harm or kill her daughter in 1960 when mary was three betty dropped her daughter from her first floor window and on another occasion she made mary take sleeping pills She once sold Mary to a mentally handicapped woman who was unable to have children of her own until her older sister, Catherine, traveled to Newcastle to get her from the woman and return her back to her mother on White House Road. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. First of all, how do you accidentally drop a three-year-old out of a first floor window? I mean, she did a Michael Jackson, but Michael Jackson didn't drop the baby. Yeah, like I can see a three-year-old falling out of a first-floor window because I have an almost three-year-old, and I would not be surprised right. if he <laughs> fell out of a first-floor window. <laughs> yeah, but dropping? No, definitely no. not. Oh my goodness! And why would her older sister go get this kid and bring her back to the mother? I know. Maybe she might have been better off with this other lady, right? I mean, who Sounds knows? Like- I mean, better to be with someone who wants you. Yeah, right. That's terrible. Even with all of the history of child abuse, Betty refused offers from her family to take custody of Mary. At the time, Betty had grown into a dominatrix, and it's alleged that she let several of her clients sexually abuse Mary by the end of the 1960s. Yeah, that, that could be a reason why she didn't want the family to take custody because maybe she was making money by letting these people do things to her. Very oh. sad. Um, in the 1960s, Newcastle upon Tyne had started an urban renewal project. Many of the slums were being demolished so modern houses and flats could be built but several families still lived in the houses marked for demolition. Local children often played in or close to the condemned houses and partially cleared houses. One of the locations was a large portion of waste ground located close to the railway line known to local children as Tin Lizzie. The street which ran parallel to this expanse of waste ground was St. Margaret's Road. So at home and school, Mary displayed signs of disturbed and unpredictable behavior that included sudden mood swings and chronic bedwetting, which is common among like serial killer people. Well, you know what? Uh, Chronic bedwetting and sudden mood swings are also very common uh, among sexually abused children. Yeah. Which is or abused children, period. Yeah, so she had some stuff going on internally with herself that it would be hard for anybody to unpack a grown-up, let alone a child. So she 
took this out by fighting with other children, boys or girls, and attempted to strangle or suffocate her classmates on several occasions. So it took it above fighting to like, I want to strangle you to death. Um, in which is a very personal thing, like to be in somebody's face, strangling them, like, and watching them like that's not be able to breathe. Yeah. That's a different kind of beast there. So in one of these occasions, she attempted to block the trachea of a young girl with sand. Many children did not want to socialize with Mary, but she frequently would spend time with Norma Joyce Bell, who was a 13-year-old neighbor and was not related to her, even though they have the same last name. They were not related. No relation. Nope. Okay. So in, in 1968, while attending Delville Road Junior School, one classmate said that her behavior had actually gotten worse. She would shake her head and form a gaze, which told her peers that she was going to become violent with the focus of her state being the individual she was going to attack. So uh, damn like a wild That's freaking animal. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That paints that a sounds picture. terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> oh, but you can't help but feel bad. Right. Cause she doesn't like poor messed up kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just wait. You'll feel. Okay. I'll stop feeling so bad here yeah. shortly. I imagine. Uh, Saturday, May 11th, 1968, a three-year-old boy was discovered bleeding, wandering in the vicinity of St. Margaret's Road in Scottswood. The child was picked up by the police and told them that he had been playing with Mary Bell and Norma Bell on top of an air raid shelter when one of the girls pushed him seven feet off the roof to the ground. This caused several cuts to his head. That same evening, parents of three small girls contacted the police to complain that both Mary and Norma had attempted to strangle their children as they played in a sand pit. What in the heck? Yeah. And strangling. Like, that's such a, I don't know, just strangling. You would think with their hands being so little, like to wrap your hands around somebody's neck. Like, I don't know. It's just, that's crazy to me. That is. So that evening, Mary and Norma were interviewed about the incidents, but both denied pushing the three-year-old off the air raid shelter, saying they saw him bleeding after he had fallen. They were then asked about the strangulation of the three girls. Mary denied any knowledge of the incident, but Norma admitted Mary had tried to throttle each girl, stating Mary went to one of the girls and said, what happens if you choke someone? Do they die? Then Mary put both hands around the girl's throat and squeezed. The girl started to go purple and she told Mary to stop, but she wouldn't. Then she put her hands around the other girl's throat until she turned purple, then went after the final girl and did the same thing. Okay. First of all, there's three of them. And they just laid there and took it. And took turns. Let me tell you what I'm going to do if somebody's strangling my friend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to be watching and waiting for my turn to get strangled. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I'm curious to know how old the girls were. They didn't notate that anywhere, but still even a three-year-old knows if something hurts and they would cry and be carrying on and then it would alert the other ones. Nor do I imagine three-year-olds are just out there playing around. You know what I mean? Like but I guess the yeah. three-year-old boy was. Um, I do. Yeah. I was going to say, I do have questions about that because Mary's like, what, 11 at this point, And it's her 13-year-old neighbor. Yeah. And some parent let their three-year-old out on top of a seven-foot high air raid shelter and was not watching them. Yeah. It, yes. What is this town? <laughs> I don't know, but there's a lot of strange business <laughs> that happens. <laughs> um, yeah. And like, even like we went to the beach, uh, you know, last year, the year before, and Evie wanted to go in the water and there was this older girl that was playing with her in the water. And I was watching, like, I don't like her to be in the water by herself anyway, but I was watching her. I told her to stay up next to the shore and just like get her like ankles in. Well, this girl was like 16 and what 16 year old is going to play with a then six year old. Like, that's just weird mm-hmm. to me. So mm-hmm. I got super anxiety ridden and I went out there and like was standing with them because I was like, 
this yeah. is not on my watch, bitch. Like, right. <laughs> right. But she was really actually um, a lifeguard and she was really a nice girl. But yeah, it's okay. Just weird. You know what I mean? Like, you're just spidey sense. Something's not right. And you got to right. investigate it. And I wouldn't let my three year old go out with a 13 year old and 11 year old because that's whenever they're kind of mean. Yeah. And yeah. No, but I mean, it's, it's not, everybody wants to blame the parent. It's, I'm not, I'm not saying it's the parent's fault, but that's weird to let your three-year-old out and about town. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very weird. So, um, May 25th, 1968, a day before her 11th birthday, Mary Bell strangled four-year-old Martin Brown in an upstairs bedroom of a condemned house located at 85 Margaret's road. Brown's body was discovered by three children around 3.30 p.m. He was lying on his back with his arms stretched above his head. Aside from specks of blood and foam around his mouth, there were no signs of violence visible on his body. A local workman named John Hall arrived on the scene soon after the children discovered the body and he attempted to give Brown CPR. As Hall gave Brown CPR, two local girls, who we know, Mary Bell and Norma Bell appeared in the doorway to the bedroom. They were both removed from the house. Later, the two knocked on the door of Martin's aunt, a Miss Rita Finley, and informed her one of your sister's children had just been in an accident. And we think it's Martin, but we can't tell because there's blood all over him. So they lied because there isn't blood all over him. And they're just Mm -mm. being little dicks instigators yeah ew i don't like her anymore nope that is a mess okay so the next day dr bernard knight conducted an autopsy on the body of martin brown and was not able to find any sign of signs of violence on the child's body and was unable to determine the cause of death some believe he had died from ingesting tablets while he was able to discount and which he was able to discount that. So he did not die from ingesting tablets. An inquest on June 7th returned an open verdict. The next day on Mary's 11th birthday, she and Norma broke into a nursery and vandalized it near Woodland Crest. The two entered the building by peeling tiles off the slate roof. They tore up books, upturned desks, and smeared ink and poster paints around the property before leaving. They're just, they're just trying to destroy anything they can. Yeah. That's their and mission. They're, uh, they're only uh, like 10 and 13. Yeah. Yeah. Holy. Nice. So the following day, staff discovered the break-in at the uh, property and they notified the police and found two notes. Um, one claimed the responsibility for Martin Brown's murder and one, oh, I'm sorry. It was four notes. I believe um, one claimed the responsibility for Mount Martin Brown's murder. One stated I murdered so that I may come back. Another read, we did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off. You bastard. The third note read fuck off. We murder watch out fanny and faggot and the final note said you are micey because we murdered martin go brown beat look out there are murders about by fanny and old faggot you screws so they don't really make sense no um a lot of the stuff was misspelled like fuck was f-u-c-h um nice try. which i kind of like <laughs> i'm gonna st- um but you're gonna start spelling it yeah uh but police just dismissed these as a childhood prank because it does appear that children i mean did it or yeah wrote wrote it and at this point they're probably not thinking that a child did this no no because that is not the first place that your mind goes, I would imagine. No. Um, so two days later, on May 29th, shortly before the funeral of Martin Brown, both girls went to the house of his mother, June, asking to see her son. When June re- Brown replied that they couldn't see her son because he was dead, Mary replied, 
oh, I know he's dead. I want to see him in his coffin. What a freaking little Ugh. shit. Yeah. Big time, oh my man. Gosh, I would knock her out. July 31st, 1968. Three-year-old Brian Howe was last seen by his parents outside his house playing with one of his siblings, the family dog, and Mary Bell and Norma Bell. When he did not return home later that afternoon, family members and neighbors searched the streets. At 11.10 p.m., a search party discovered Brian's body between two large concrete blocks upon the Tin Lizzie, so on that railroad. Yep. So oh. the, first, um, the first policeman to arrive observed that a deliberate but feeble attempt had been made to conceal the body, which was discovered in the clumps of grass and weeds. Cenosis was evident, which means that the tissue had de uh, developed a purple hue due to the lack of oxygen on his lips. And there were several scratches on his neck. A pair of broken scissors were lying close to his feet. So this is a little different than before because yeah. mm -hmm. the other one didn't have any kind of no Visual. damage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the coroner examined Brian's body and concluded that he did die of strangulation and had been dead up to seven and a half hours before his body was found. It appears that the killer had squeezed Brian's nostril shut with one hand and gripped his throat with the other. There were a number of puncture marks on the child's legs that happened before he died. A section of his hair had been cut from his head and his genitals were partially mutilated. There was also a poor attempt at carving the letter M into his stomach with a small amount of force used to murder the child. The coroner concluded that he believed that the murderer had to have been another child. Terrible. I hate these. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, oh, the kid stuff. I can't. Oh, yeah. There. There were a number of gray and maroon fibers that were discovered on Brian's clothes and shoes that did not match any fibers in the Howe household and would have had to have been transferred to the child by his murderer. So on this murder, they have a lot more evidence yeah. than on the first one. Correct. Now that the body of a second child had been found, this sparked a large-scale manhunt for the murderer. Over 100 detectives from across Northumberland were assigned to the investigation and more than 1,200 children, 1,200 yeah. children had been questioned about the whereabout, about their whereabouts by August 2nd. That is a <coughs> huge undertaking, 1,200 children. Could you imagine how long it would take to like get a child's Interview attention? A child. <laughs> yeah, to keep them on track, to get to the answers that you need. Like, no, and like how trying to interview a child, how difficult that would be to get valid, like viable answers from them anyways. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I try to talk to my preschooler about her day at school and it's sometimes like, okay, none of this happened. You are insane. Right. Or like, there was like, a dinosaur <laughs> that crossed the road and yeah. like, no, it didn't. yeah. Or I'm like. <laughs> how um i'll say like what did you do today good mm -hmm. <laughs> okay thank you <laughs> i i honestly thought that kids would be more more forthcoming with information as they were younger but yeah. no i asked right how school oh fine what'd you learn uh school stuff i'm like you're seven dude give me something mm -hmm. what'd you eat for lunch <laughs> right like i know you learned something today uh-huh yep <laughs> Yeah, 1,200. That is crazy. Mm -hmm. So the two children questioned by detectives on August 1st was Mary Bell and Norma Bell, whom witnesses had told investigators that they had been playing with Brian shortly before he was believed to have been killed. In her initial interviews, Norma seemed excited, whereas Mary was more observant and tactile. Both girls were evasive and contradictory in their statements, but they did admit to playing with Brian on the date of his death, but said that they had not seen him after lunchtime. So he, he was found at what, 11, and he was supposed to have been dead seven hours before then. So that would, you know, it would put him about the time a little bit before 
um, when they were playing with him before his body would have ended up dead in between those stones. 4 p.m. about. Yep. Um, So on August 2nd, Mary was questioned again and said she remembered seeing an eight-year-old local boy playing with Brian on the afternoon of July 31st and that he had seen um, he had been seen hitting the boy. She also stated that the boy had been covered in grass and weeds as if he'd been rolling in a field and that he had a small pair of scissors on him. She then said, I saw him trying to cut a cat's tail off with the scissors, but there was something wrong with them. One leg was broken or bent on the scissors. This statement is what convinced Detective Chief Inspector James Dodson that Mary was actually the killer, as only the police knew about the broken scissors found at the crime scene. In addition, the local boy she tried to frame was discovered to be at Newcastle International Airport on the afternoon of July 31st, with numerous witnesses able to corroborate his story. So she done fucked up. Nice try, Mary. Yeah. And if she wouldn't have probably said anything about the scissors and he wouldn't have really been at the airport. Yeah. It might've worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows how that would have gone. It was just bad Uh, luck on her part. She picked the wrong kid. Yeah. And she said too much. Mm -hmm. Hmm. August 4th, the parents of Norma Bell called police saying their daughter wanted to confess that she knew um, what she knew in the death of Brian Howe. DCI Dobson went to their home and asked Norma what she knew. Norma told Dobson that Mary had taken her to the spot on the Tin Lizzie, at which point she had shown her Brian's body. Mary had shown Norma how she strangled Brian. According to Norma, Mary confessed she enjoyed strangling the child. Then she described how she scoured marks on his stomach with a razor blade, which had been hidden at the crime scene and the broken sisters. Norma led police to the crime scene and showed them where the razor blade was hidden. A drawing Norma made of the wounds inflicted inflicted to the boy's stomach matched precisely with those described um, by the coroner. So So this razor, they had no idea. They assumed it had been done with the scissors. scissors. Yep. Hmm. Mary Bell was visited at her home in the early hours of August 5th. She was very defensive when confronted about the discrepancies of her previous story. And she told detectives, you're trying to brainwash me. I will get a solicitor to get me out of this, which is a lawyer. Right. So later that day, Norma was questioned again, where she made a full statement and admitted being present when Mary had actually strangled Brian. According to Norma, when the three were alone on the tin Lizzie, Mary seemed to go all funny pushing the child into the grass and attempting to strangle him before stating to her, my hands are getting thick, take over. She had them run from the scene and left. She then ran from the scene and left Mary alone with Brian. So she tried to get her to participate in strangling him, but she freaked Mm -hmm. out and left. Yeah. Forensic examination of the clothing owned by both girls revealed the gray fibers discovered on Brian's body was a precise match to a woolen dress owned by Mary. The maroon fibers were a match to a skirt owned by Norma. Furthermore, the same gray fibers were also found on the body of Martin Brown. Yep. Now there's a connection. Yep. On August 7th, 1968, Brian Howe was buried in a local cemetery that was attended by over 200 people. According to DCI Dobson, Mary Bell stood outside the Howe household as the child's coffin was brought from the home at the beginning of the funeral procession. Dobson later stated, she just stood there laughing, laughing and rubbing her hands. I thought, my God, I've got to bring her in. She'll do another one. Isn't that like freaking ominous, man? Like, this reminds me of, like, Damien. Yeah, I mean, that is messed up. And if I was the parent to that child, I would kill her. Yeah, I mean, it'd be... Like, no hesitation, that kid would be dead. Yeah, I'm surprised... Before anybody could stop me. (laughs) I'm surprised that Dobson didn't try to move her away from the family home as that child was brian was being brought out you know what i mean because you know the parents probably saw that 
I would think so. That's why I'm saying like pick her ass up and drag her away. Like she's little. Yeah. I don't know. Man, that is insane. Yes. So um both girls were formally charged with the murder of Brian Howe at 8 p.m. that evening. In response to the charge, Mary replied, that's all right by me. Norma burst into tears and said, I'll, I'll, I never, I'll pay you back for this. So I think she's talking to Mary. Was she, or was she threatening? I don't think she's the threatener. I think she is blaming Mary for herself being in this predicament. In this position. Yep. In front of witnesses, Mary prepared a written statement in which she admitted to being present when Brian Howe was murdered, but insisted that the murder was done by Norma. She also admitted she and Norma had broken into the Woodland Crescent Nursery that day, the day after the murder of Martin Brown, defacing the property before the two had written the handwritten notes. She's trying to get it to look like she's telling the truth and all of this stuff yeah like admitting some things that are not so bad but Mm -hmm. saying the other girl did the things that are really bad yep so both girls underwent psychological evaluations shortly after they were arrested the results of these tests revealed that norma was intellectually delayed and a submissive character who easily displayed emotion where mary was a bright yet cunning character prone to sudden mood swings Occasionally, Mary was willing to talk, but quickly became sullen, introspective, and defensive. Four psychiatrists examined Mary and concluded that she did not suffer from a mental disorder, but she did suffer from a psychopathic personality disorder. In his official report compiled for the Director of Public Prosecutions, Dr. David Westbury concluded, Mary's social techniques are primitive and take the form of automatic denial ingratiation manipulation complaining bullying fight or violence so does she cry yeah basically they're saying norma jean is like intellectually delayed and mary is a psychopath yep so both girls were tried for the murder of Martin Brown and Brian Howe at Newcastle seized on December 5th, 1968, and were tried before Mr. Justice Ralph Cusack. Both pleaded not guilty to the charges. Mary was defended by Mr. Harvey Robson, QC, and Norma by R.P. Smith, QC. On the first day of trial, Cusack waived the defendant's rights to anonymity on account of their age which meant that the media was allowed to publicize their name, ages, and show photographs of the, of the girls, both who sat next to a female police officer in the center of the court behind their legal represent- representatives and within arm's reach of their families throughout the trial, which is weird. Why would they waive the defendant's right to anonymity? I don't know. I don't... I- I'm shocked with their ages that they would be cool with plastering that all over the news. Yeah. I think that's really odd that they would waive that. Right. I mean, they deserve it. Sure. But yeah, but it's weird. It is weird. (laughs) It is weird. Rudolph Lyons QC opened the case on behalf of the prosecution at 1130 AM and his opening statement lasted six hours. Lyons informed the jury they faced an unhappy and distressing task due to the nature of the murders and the ages of the defendants. He then outlined the similarities between both murders and that they had been murdered by the same perpetrator or perpetrators. Lyons ended that despite the defendant's age difference, Mary was definitely the more dominant of the two, but both girls acted together and were equally culpable of killing both children solely for the pleasure and excitement of murder. Adding in both girls knew what they did was wrong and what the results would be. So on the fifth day of trial, Norma testified in her own defense saying she denied any culpability in the actual murder of either child, but admitted under cross-examination to have known Mary's spark for violence and her history of attacking children, and that the two had discussed attacking and killing small children of both genders. 
She was asked by Lyons if Mary had demonstrated to her how children could be killed, and Norma nodded. She then said that as Mary began to attack and strangle Brian Howe, she had failed to alert a group of boys playing nearby to intervene, but stated, I didn't know what was going to happen in the first place. She had stopped hurting him for a bit when the boys were near the blocks. When questioned about her role in the murder, she said she never touched the child. Doesn't matter. No. Does not matter. No, but I, yeah, I think she really is kicking herself for not bringing more attention. So those boys would come over and see what was going on. And this is the second murder. Yes. She's thinking that Mary's going to stop, even though she murdered another three-year-old. I mean, I'm not giving this Norma kid anything. Yeah. No. Nay, nay. And you're 13. You're old enough. Well, but she's mentally delayed. Okay. So let's subtract five. You're old enough. Not here for it. That's true. (laughs) That's true. You're dropping truth bombs on me. I know. (laughs) I don't like it. All right. So following the conclusion of Norma's testimony on December 12th, Mary testified in her own defense, which those two things are also very bizarre to me that they would have these young people on the stand testifying in their own defense. Like that seems like a, maybe not a good idea. Well, I think, I think Mary thinks she's super smart and she's going to get out of this. Probably was like, this sounds good. Let me test probably. But as a lawyer, wouldn't you be like, no, no (laughs) bad idea. Yeah. Advise against that. I don't think you can tell them that they can't. Can you? I don't know. I would assume that the parents would have had to have been involved in something. Like, yeah, it sounds like her mom super gave a shit. That's true. <laughs> Another truth bomb dropped. <laughs> direct hit. <laughs> I don't know. It's that's I don't know. So her testimony lasted for four hours. It concluded on December 13th after a brief recess when she began crying into a policewoman's arms. She denied her co-defendants accusations, insisting that she had observed the body of Martin Brown on St. Margaret's Road, but she never harmed the child and that she and Norma had later asked the boy's mother to view his body as the two were daring each other. And one of us did not want to be a chicken. I have no idea. Like, I really don't think that they understand the ramifications. No, I don't think they do either. I don't. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. Mary told the court that Norma had been the one who had strangled Brian Howe as she was just standing and looking. I couldn't move. It was as if some glue was pulling us down. Mary then said that Norma encouraged Brian to lie down if he wanted some sweets, telling him, you've got to lie down for the lady to come with the sweets. Before she strangled him with her bare hands as she tried to prevent the attack. She said that she knew Norma had used force because her fingertips and nails were going white and she failed to tell authorities of Norma's actions because she was afraid and had a sense of loyalty to her. This Mary, she's a freaking conniving. Yeah. Really? She is smart for her eight. Like, yeah. At 10, 11, would you have thought of that kind of shit? I'm like, I'm sorry I did it. (laughs) Like, I couldn't even, I don't know. Yeah. It's no, it's different, but yeah. So Norma's mother, Catherine, then testified that several months prior to the murder of Brian Howe, she and her husband had discovered Mary had attempted to strangle Norma's younger sister, Susan, and that she only released her grip after her husband punched Mary in the shoulder. Okay, let's talk about this. Why the fuck would you let your other daughter hang out with this crazy ass kid who tried to strangle your other child? I uh, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like, like that no, no. should have been the end of that friendship. Oh uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I would have done mon- more than punch her in the freaking shoulder. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. So a child psychiatrist named Ian Frazier testified that Norma's mental age was eight years and 10 months old. I was perfect with that (laughs) minus five years. I would just like to point in here. (laughs) And you're still right. An eight-year-old would know that that's wrong. Right. And even though her capacity of capacity, capacity, holy cow, 
there, there needed to be an M in there somewhere. <laughs> Capacity of knowing right from wrong was limited. She was capable of appreciating the criminality of the acts that she was accused of committing. So she, yeah, she understood she knew better. Yeah. <laughs> December 13th, Norma's defense counsel gave closing arguments and R.P. Smith emphasized that although both girls were on trial together, there was no real evidence existing against Norma aside from Mary's accusations of her. Smith implored jurors to suppress their feelings of outrage and malice and dispel any idea that both little girls pay for the actions of one of them. Um, Mary had been brought up in a dysfunctional family. So they brought that up and she was raised in, in the blur between fantasy and reality in her mind. This had caused a retarded development. That's quotes, um, of her Mm -hmm. mind that was caused by both genetic and environmental factors. And that this can be seen by the notes that were left in the nursery, which were written to attract attention to herself. So they're trying to paint mary as the victim here because of her childhood because of her upbringing right yeah but still you can't murder it doesn't murder matter women. what yeah it doesn't matter what your childhood <laughs> is you're not allowed to kill little kids or anybody for that matter right so it does not matter like it sucks and it's sad but sorry mary yep. <laughs> that's not how life works <clears throat> Rudolph Lyons described the case as macabre and grotesque and that Mary was the domineering one. She also had a lack of remorse. The trial lasted nine days and on December 17th, the jury retired to consider the verdict. They deliberated for three hours and 25 minutes. Mary Bell. Yeah, that is pretty fast. Mary Bell was cleared of murder, but convicted of manslaughter of both boys on the grounds of diminished responsibility. Norma Bell was acquitted of all charges. Yeah. What? So it's, yeah. Upon hearing the verdict, Norma clapped her hands with excitement and Mary burst into tears as mother and her grandmother also wept. That is insane i would burn that place to the ground there's no justice that really was at all no not at all it it's depressing from the beginning to the end i mean really the yeah so Mary Bell was initially detained in a Durham remand home before being transferred to a second remand home in South Norwood. She was then transferred to Red Bank Secure Unit, a young offenders institution in Newton Lewillow's Maryside in early 1969, where she was the only female among 24 inmates. She was 12 years old. She claimed at this facility she was sexually abused by a member of staff and several inmates claiming it started when she was 13 years old. In November 1973, at the age of 16, she was transferred to a secure wing of HM Prison Stall in Cheshire. She applied for a parole but was denied. So they put a 12-year-old into a facility with 24 inmates where she's the only female Mm-hmm. what yeah that is insane i don't know how they got away with that i don't know how I mean, they it, got away with that it was in the seven or 69 it's not like 1905 i know they should but- have some facility somewhere for young female offenders of some sort like or even just female offenders at that point like yeah you can do this is not the best you can do with that no <laughs> that's crazy june 1976 bell was transferred to Moore court open prison where she took a secretarial course 15 months later in september 1977 she made headlines when she and another inmate annette priest briefly escaped from the open prison both escapees spent several days in the company of two men in Blackpool visiting amusements and sleeping in various local hotels. Bell used the alias Mary Robinson before the two escapees parted ways. 
Bell was arrested at the Derbyshire home of one of the men, Clive Shercliffe, on September 13th, even after dyeing her hair blonde to disguise her identity. She was returned to custody that evening. Priest was arrested a few days later in Leeds. Bell's penalty for this was a loss of prison privileges for 28 days. Sit. Hmm. I feel well, like that's... prison privileges anyways. I mean, it's an open prison. So, I mean, it's pretty much fair game, I would assume. And 28 days, oh, I don't get a TV. But then after that, you get to go back to the open prison. <laughs> like, and just yeah. do it again. <laughs> June 1979, the Home Office announced their decision to transfer Mary Bell to HM Prison Askham Grange, an open category prison in the village of Askham Richards in an effort to prepare her for her release date planned for the following year. Beginning in November 1979, Bell worked first as a secretary, then as a waitress in York Minster under supervision guidelines. Bell was released from HM Prison, Ascom Grange, in May 1980 at the age of 23, after serving 11 and a half years in custody. She was granted... Anonymity. An- anonymity. <laughs> that is a difficult word. Anonymity, which included a new name and was allowed to start a new life elsewhere in the country. Not fair. No. no. And dangerous. But I wonder why they would give her anonymity now whenever they didn't, whenever the trial was happening. I don't understand that. I don't know. That's weird. Upon her release, a spokesman quoted as saying, Bell wishes to be given a change or a chance to live a normal life and to be left alone. Well, guess what, Bell? Yeah. That's not what happens after you kill two babies. Yep. I, that is, but apparently it is what happens. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Four years after her release on May 25th, 1984, Bell gave birth to a daughter, which would be her only child. She told her child nothing of her past until 1998, when reporters discovered Bell's then current location in a resort town on the Sussex coast where they had been living for 18 months. So what that puts this kid at 14, mm-hmm. the media forced Bell. Oh, it says that that's <laughs> the, the only reason forced- I knew it. <laughs> the media forced Belle and her 14-year-old daughter to leave their home to drive to a safe house by undercover office officers. Both mother and daughter relocated to another part of the UK. Belle has allegedly returned to Tyneside on several occasions in the years following her release and lived there for a time. In 1998, Belle collaborated with author Gita Serini to provide an account of her life before and after her crimes, for Serini's book, Cries Unheard, the story of Mary Bell. Within the book, she details the abuse she suf- suffered as a child. The right to anonymity was granted to Bell's daughter until the age of 18. However, on May 21st, 2003, Bell won a high court battle to have her own and that of her daughter's extended for life. So she will always have anonymity. This was later updated to include Belle's granddaughter that was born in 2009, who's referred to as Z. Belle's current whereabouts are unknown, and she remains protected by the order from 2003. So I couldn't find out where she was. That is insane to think that there could be, like, people, not murdered people, mm-hmm. just living near you yeah and and are protected yeah and another thing too like so with the last murder she mutilated his genitals which i would chalk up to some sort of sexual perversion type situation why was she not like registered as a sex offender essentially also, do they have sex offender registration laws in the UK? Who knows? I, I don't know. I don't know. Or during that time, but then mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I don't know. And I would rather know if somebody murdered two, three-year-olds 
then, I mean, I like being able to know if there are registered sex offenders around me, but I would definitely like to know if somebody killed babies and is living near me. I just feel like the whole anonymity thing should only be used for victims. Yeah. And not, I agree. like, why, why protect these people? We just talked about this before with, um, Homoka and yeah. the Ken and Barbie killers. Like she should not mm-hmm. get to just travel through life easy breezy because she served her time and everybody mm-hmm. else like volunteering at PTA meetings. Like, yeah, like no. people should know that that's you're taking, I don't know. It's dangerous. It's, it's taking yeah. people's right to safety away. In my opinion, you're capable of doing something like this. You've yep. done it before. Your price to pay for that is for other people to be able to know that. Well, and, and I wonder what her daughter thought after she learned through the media, not through her mother, even through the media that her mother had done these horrible things when you're 14 too, yeah. like, you know, how many hormones are ripping through your body <laughs> and just like her friends that would not like, I just, I'm sure none of her friends were allowed to stay at her house. Mm-mm. I wouldn't, no. if I was her daughter, I wouldn't let her around my grandbaby, the grandbaby either. Nope. Like, Oh, this it is crazy. It is a sad, sad tale. Um, all the way around. I wonder if there was a lot of work done while she was in these prisons to like rehabilitate her too. You know, it doesn't, we don't really talk about that. And we know that a lot of times that's not done. Yeah. I mean, I, they didn't mention anything about that. Her being in custody for 11 and a half years, especially at that young of an age, she essentially grew up in prison yeah in the prison system yeah and I feel like a lot of the times that doesn't learn better for you (laughs) right you just learn the tricks of the trade not how to be better um but I mean she did get her secretary courses and things like that which is I guess a good use of her time Mm -hmm. who knows I mean she successfully raised a daughter and has a grandchild yeah so I'm assuming that she didn't abuse her daughter yeah, she I mean, obviously didn't kill her. So there we go. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, you know, she snuffed out the lives of two children who could have had families one day. And how terrible for the parents of those children. Like how unsatisfying is it to know that one person completely walks away after being a part of this and another spends 11 and a half years in custody. Right. And they and- get out when they're 23, 23. Yeah. And she was in an open, I mean, it wasn't like hard, maybe the first where she was the only woman, 13 year old, but Mm -hmm. then she was in an open prison, which seems very relaxed to me. If she was able to just walk out the door and escape, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And getting out when you're 23, you literally have your whole life ahead of you. Yeah. Yeah. You got, that's not fair. You get a fresh start. (laughs) That makes me so mad. (laughs) Yeah. That's a terrible story. I hate yeah. it. I hope you all enjoyed. Um, <laughs> uh, I had never heard of her whenever we I were looking either. up topics. And I thought it was, it, while it's super sad and depressing. Um, Interesting. Yeah. People like that are out there. Yeah. So Very to cool. cite my sources, um, I used Wiki, All That's Interesting, and Murderpedia. So... All right. All right. Well, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> okay. Well, we hope you enjoyed episode 97 on Mary Bell, child serial killer, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.